as Omaha resident Brian Windhorst would say, what it do, baby. <laughs> if you understand that reference, you are in the correct place. This is the Half Court Press episode, probably many, but for us, episode one. I'm Jimmy Watkins. I am, for the all intents and purposes of this podcast, the Nebraska basketball writer. Yes, we do a little football over here too, but not today. He is Joel Lorenzi. He's got a s- snazzy corduroy jacket on here today. He is the Creighton basketball beat writer. Yes, sir. He is brand new still. I don't know how long to get to be brand new. A month? Two months? Until the until the people yeah start, yeah yeah okay doing all that. Joel, how is it going? I'm chilling, man. I'm I'm glad to be here. I know this podcast hasn't been a thing for a while, but I feel like this is a good time to bring it back. I think we got some. some it's good exciting. Going on. We got good chemistry. Yeah. Um, it didn't show while we were trying to build furniture at Joel's house a couple weeks <laughs> well, ago. I was building furniture. Joel was burning. I was hammering. I was hammering. Right? Come on, yeah, give me give me my hammer. It, well, I don't know what those nails look like now, but I did most. If of they're the work. still I in there, we consider it a so. success. I also did strip a screw uh, while we were building furniture I, yeah. I, I that pretty much halted the proceedings for the evening that's yeah. pretty tough on my part we're back uh we're gonna talk about basketball much better than we build furniture and today is just going to be what i call ba- a basketball icebreaker let's do it i feel like if you're listening to this podcast you kind of know who i am right like i've been here for about a year now uh covered an entire basketball season covered a creighton tournament run yeah. this is a very niche audience for a podcast i think you guys kind of understand what I'm about to some degree. Joel's still new, so we're going to gear this thing towards Joel. I'm going to ask Joel some basketball questions that will kind of help introduce you guys to how he thinks about basketball, how he thinks in general, um, what kind of dude he is, what kind of dude you're going to be reading and dealing with here on a regular basis. First things first. Oh, this okay. is this is big picture. It's pretty simple. All right. uh, basketball coaches love saying that so-and-so, usually a seventh-man white dude off the bench, plays basketball the right the way. The right way, right, yeah. Joel, what is the right way to play basketball? What is the ideal way to play basketball? Man, I don't think mind? there is a right way to play basketball. You know, I, I think this debate came up a lot uh, through Giannis's progression, I think, um, and before he really reached, not peak starting, because I think he could still get better, but, you know, when, when he won that ring, people were like, okay, like the discussion on whether he was a – fully fledged superstar was like out the window like it was like okay this guy's up there but before that it was like oh how can you be the best player on a championship team when uh you play like him you can't shoot whatever and it's like yeah we are in this era where it's skill based but um there's no right way to play dude like uh you could be a a guy who sets a million screens in a game and still be a superstar you could uh you know you could have these different skill sets and still be really good so um like personally i like a brand of basketball it's like um a lot of good looking clean sets i don't like stagging stuff this is why um i'm an nba guy but like even in nba you'll see some some bad offenses offenses for sure but i think um you know a lot of screens a lot of good actions that's that's the type of basketball i like but there's no wrong way to play the game i think well i should say there's no politically correct way there's no correct way to play the game but there's definitely some wrong ways i think but I agree with you, and I think that's the beauty. That's why I love basketball. There's so many yeah. different ways to do it. There's um, That's one thing I think that college basketball has over the NBA is stylistic diversity. I think the NBA is kind of um, heading towards a, a space where a lot of guys, you know, 15, 20 teams have a guy that they just give the ball to and say, here, sure. run 30 pick and rolls a game. And that's yeah. like, okay, it's, it's fun to watch Luka Doncic, Luka Doncic run 30 pick and rolls a game, but it's, you know, it's also fun to to dive into, you know, in the – in college basketball, guys just trying junky stuff sometimes, and it takes your eyes a minute to adjust sometimes, you know what I mean? Yeah, and even then, I think, like, when I was covering Mizzou, like, I would have died to see a guy that was good enough to just sure. run pick and roll <laughs> exactly. all game. Like, yeah. you know, like, there's still levels right. to this, I think. So. Absolutely. Um, me, personally, I like I like watching – I just love – I mean, this is, this is almost not fair because I, I'm going to say I like watching the Warriors, and a lot, and a lot of what they do is – and why it works is because Steph and Clay command so much attention off the ball. But I do like watching guys constantly moving off the ball and one sure. action flows into the next and guys knowing where each other are at all times. Like guys who have that mind meld, like watching Steph and Draymond, I think that's that's really cool. Um, my follow-up advice. So you say you like running actions. You like 
yeah. crisp, clean movement in the yeah. half court. Do you follow your own advice? When you're playing pickup, do you play that way? <laughs> no, I don't think anybody. Uh, I, I don't think anybody. What's your pickup pick game? Doing? Spot up. I'm a lot of spot up. You feel me? Attack closeouts. I'm a, I'm a I'm a roll guy. Like I'm not on the ball a ton. Um, well, it depends on the competition, but I'm I'm not on the ball a ton. Um, if I'm playing on my guys back home, I'm real spot up, attack, closeouts, make the right pass, the next pass, uh, stuff like that. I'm with you. Uh, if I'm on, if I'm running point, our team is probably in some trouble. <laughs> <laughs> not that I can't, not that I can't dribble, but it's not. I wouldn't say it's my strength. Um, I'm I'm better off just. And if I'm bringing the ball up, I'm gonna shoot more. So people right. are either gonna get upset or look at me crazy because yeah. sometimes the deep ones go in. You know what I mean? Um, college or pro basketball? What is your preference and why? I hope the the listeners don't hate me for this. It's the NBA. There's sure. The, there's no better league in the world than the NBA. And I even have fun these days, you know, catching highlights of games overseas. Now, granted, I'm not gonna say overseas basketball is better to watch than college basketball. I don't think that's true, but. Um, it's just something different about the guys who do this for for a living, like for, for money, the big money. I mean, granted, college players do this for money now too, yeah. but the the pros are it's the best level of basketball you can get. And I think you see that, like, I really enjoy these past playoffs. Like, say what you want. I know people are either – they either hated it or loved it, but I, I really enjoy these past playoffs, especially that series with the Bucks and the Celtics. I think that was probably the best series in the whole playoffs. Like, stuff like that. Like, there's there's no better basketball than that to me. The ceiling on the NBA is much, much higher when you get the best players in the, in the world playing at their peak. I will say for college basketball, though, I mentioned earlier, there's stylistic diversity. There's more of that. Yeah. Um, the the potential for upsets, like there's really yeah. no version of St. Peter's in the NBA. Like you have one-offs like the We Believe Warriors, which is super cool when it happens, but yeah. for the most part, seven-game series, you're going to get the better team winning. And I'll say something that I, it's kind of a – Something I like and don't like about college basketball is that the shot making is just worse. No doubt. Um, yeah. In the NBA, if Kevin Durant takes pull up eighteen footers, much better chances going in than say, just name any college basketball player. Uh, Caleb Love has of making that same sure. shot, even even when he's operating on a different level, like he was during the tournament. However, there's like a there's something to that scarcity. Like if a game's winding down and guys guys are clanking jumpers it's it gives these it gives possessions late in games i feel like more of an enhanced uh urgency importance to them because it it just feels so much harder to score and as a viewer in high leverage situations i'll qualify it by saying that because you know regular season game 15 college basketball no one's making anything it's 59 57 i'm out but in the tournament when there's that scarcity when it feels like you can see they're struggling to score it makes it more exciting when they do yeah. for me um so i'll give i'll give college basketball that and the tournament is just i don't know it's so fun i think the nba playoffs are aesthetically more pleasing to watch but the tournament is so much more exciting sure. man. Yeah. and and i agree with you on on a lot of those fronts i think you know when i was in indy i covered the the first two St. Peter's games. So I yeah. saw that live up close. And by the way, St. Peter's was running good actions and good yeah. sets, which helped them a lot. But um, but also run a little matchup zone sometimes. Yeah. You know, just I mean, That's St. what I'm talking about, the junky stuff. And it's like with college, it's like good teams. Because you can see good teams. Well, I guess good teams falter at both levels. But, like, I don't know. It's like the window – for each game, like you know, in the in the NBA, you got playoff series. With these, it's like one game and you're done. So in college, it's, it's more exciting on that front. And I think, um, I don't know, like you mentioned with KD and the shot making. Like the thing with college, I think the the playing field is obviously more level because you could have the best guy in college. I mean, you could go five or ten seasons in college basketball without having a prospect like KD. Like you know, so it's always the playing field is gonna be relatively level. And, like, I don't know, like, the, the best player in college could be, you know, an average NBA player. So you're never going to have this super craziest talent all the time in, in college basketball. But, like, it, I think that makes it better having the obviously dumbed-down talent, I guess, if if that's even okay to say. Like, the it, the playing field being more level makes it fun, I guess. And it what it also does is it it encourages teams to – run the kind of offenses that are a little bit more fun to watch, right? Like you got guys who 
if you don't have a guy, I've been saying this about Nebraska basketball this offseason, I don't think they're going to have a guy that they can yeah. just stick the ball in their hand and say, do stuff. I don't think they're going to have that guy, which is obviously can be an issue late in the game when you're trying to, when defenses are most locked in and they have seen most of your stuff and you, you, you need someone to just create an advantage. That yeah. can be a disadvantage. It also can be an advantage because if nobody can do that, then they kind of have to play within the the realms of a system. And when systems are run correctly, when the plays are executed, it can be pretty. Like if the ball, you know, you get a, you get a penetrate, swing, swing, swing. Like that's aesthetically pleasing basketball. You get yeah. guys attacking closeouts and then shooting a skip pass across the court. Like that stuff to me, and I think for most people who really uh, pay attention and have played basketball or have a, a good idea of what they're seeing, that's what they want to see. Okay. So I think that there's there's an element of that to to the college game. Um, and also, it's just, it's, I just can't get over the tournament. I, people, the I, I struggle with this sometimes because I am a big NBA guy, and every year when the tournament comes around, the college basketball heads are, are puffing their chests out, right? Like, yeah. this is the best postseason in the world like it's so captivating like you can't you can't miss a game you can't miss a second of the action i don't have a retort <laughs> that yeah. stuff is just cool man when march madness games come down in the last two minutes there are there just aren't like it's a game seven every night that's that's the best way to put it and it's that part is really fun yeah um the next question i have for you joel this is prudent to i think more prudent to what i cover because <laughs> Sam McEwen, our boss, has this theory that last year, uh, part of the reason Nebraska basketball's offense was so stagnant was that these dudes were just, they heard Fred's voice in their head every time they thought about taking the shot from 16 mm. feet. Because, you know, the where basketball has landed is that they have we understand that layups, three-pointers, and free throws are what we're gunning for here. The best place to to get those things is at the rim, or from behind the three-point line. Yeah, I think I know where this is going. You know, past the worst place to get those things is from 16 feet out. Sure. What is the value of the mid-range jumper in 2022? Does yeah. it have value? The value is probably as high as it's ever been. I think. Ooh. I, I think if you've seen, I like this. I think if you've seen at least, at least counting the NBA, grouping the NBA into this discussion, you've seen in the past couple, maybe even three or so postseasons that the mid-range is like actually how guys. I mean, some. Some offenses even rely on it. I mean, it's that change of pace, that change of shot making that allows you to keep a defense guessing. And for some guys, it's, it's their go-to shot. Like you've seen Chris Paul, uh, Chris Middleton, Kevin Durant, guys like that are getting to that elbow, getting to that shot that they know they like. And sometimes it's crazy because defenses, some defenses want to force you into those spots, but like these are those guys' bread and butter. And uh, it makes for good basketball. And obviously when you got the best shot makers in the world, um, it puts a lot of value in those shots. I mean, when you got a guy on ball like that who's a super, super big usage creator, I mean, you need shots like that. Uh, so I think it's as high as it's ever been. Obviously, um, it's easy to say, oh, back in the day, Mike and Kobe and all those guys, the 90s, whatever, um, they were the ones who were really putting um, all the effort into that because the three-point line wasn't as exaggerated. But um, – Frankly, they were scoring less back then and and whatnot, and the pace was slower and, and all that good jazz. So I think right now you're seeing it at its peak. Maybe not as spread out across the league, but among the people who do use it, it's it's almost never been as highly valued. I think its value is disproportionately high at the end of games, end of shot clocks, um, that sort of when you need absolutely need someone to just create something because a lot of times that's guys comfort spots you can you, you know you do a couple crossovers go between the legs a couple times you pull up from 17 feet particularly if you if you have one of those like I have a, a big wing creator like let's say an arthur kaluma yeah. give arthur kaluma the ball left wing you got five seconds on the shot clock he's gonna take a few dribbles in maybe snatch it back create some space that's the best shot you can get in those situations when you when the thing is that's kind of my favorite part about where basketball is today is that to some degree there's a baseball element of it where we have sort of mathematically figured the game out, right? Like we understand that if you shoot more threes, it's probably better for your offense as long as you have 
you know, decent shooters. Yeah. We understand that getting to the rim is extremely valuable. We understand that free throw attempts are extremely valuable. We understand where the game is weighted. And yet, when there's two minutes left to go, the best offense is any clean look. Any clean look you can get. And a lot of times, the best clean look, the easiest clean look to get is go halfway toward the rim, stop and pop, right? Yeah. So that, to me, it's it's in the highest leverage moments, which is why I think people are, the people who, let's say, aren't pleased with the where basketball has ended up too many threes, um, old school kind of mentality with it. They get to every playoffs or every NCAA tournament that you can hear them being loud because that's when you see that's when you see high leverage shots, big shots, game winning shots of that variety, and that's just because that's when you at the end of the game there's it's it's such it's so organized it's so understood, and yet at the end everything just falls apart. Sure. That's that's the fun part to me. You, get, you know, guys who are shooting eighty five percent free throws for the year, they miss two at the end. It's just so, it's so pressure ridden, and it's it the, everything that you know about the game kind of falls apart at the end. I think that's what makes basketball so fun. Close basketball games that's so true. fun. Yeah. Um, all right, we'll talk a little college hoops now. We'll go. I, f- I have Creighton is by far the most popular pick in the Big East right now. They haven't done there's no media polls out right now. I can almost guarantee you Creighton is going to be at the top of the media polls. They were at the near the top of all the pre or the way too early top twenty five mm-hmm. polls and I did a quick um study on that during the off season, like how accurate are those polls. I don't remember the exact number. They're, they're more predictive than you think. Like the teams that end up at the top of those polls have a decent chance of ending ending up in the tournament, making a decent tournament run and so forth. Sure. I'll propose to you, Joel, and this is basically just your opportunity to riff on Creighton. You don't even have to actually answer this question. Okay. I'm giving away the game by saying that, but <laughs> Creighton or the field in the Big East? What do you got? Creighton, I think. Um, Why? Man, if you look at – well, I, w- I was particularly um, watching as a, a bystander back then. I mean, I didn't realize I'd be covering the team uh, back when I was uh, in Indy covering the tournament. Um and they had, you know, they had a, a TV everywhere with every game possible going on. And um, I think I was on deadline while Creighton was playing Kansas in that um, second round game. And so I was like kind of glanced over, but I'm like, damn, I got to see this. And um, I was really, I was really excited about how far they took it, especially with, you know, two key guys hurt. Um, so, you know, I, I liked Creighton then. And then you add Baylor Shireman, obviously. I think Kaluma is is set for a leap. Um, you get back Nemhart. Um, still got the defensive player of the year in the in the league, and so I think there's a lot to be excited about with this team. And um, I don't think it's one of those things where you could argue like, oh, there's so much, so many stars on this team that's like, oh, they won't work well together or whatever. Because I mean, it feels almost based on this team's the program's history, like. The guys they have together, they just feel like such a good nucleus. Like, uh, Kalkbrenner isn't going to affect anything. I mean, uh, he's a rim runner. He's he's dependent on what the guards give him, right? Right. And and it's like the the defensive anchor, you need that, right? Mm. And, um, I mean, if he starts shooting threes during the season, then sure, I guess. But, like, they don't even need This that. sounds like someone who has who has been told that Ryan Kalkbrenner has been working on a three-point stroke. Everyone's working on their three-point stroke right now. I'll I'm believe it when I see it. Derek Walker... I'm not saying he'll who be tempted like two three pointers last year. They're telling he's looking comfortable shooting three pointers now. Okay, we'll see. Look, all I've all I've seen is that he's attempting them in practice. Yeah. But you know, um, I just I don't I don't know if he'll be an effective shooter in the season. But just just that feels that like a long term project. Just throwing it out there. But they don't need him to be anyway. Right. You, you got, got your three. You got your three guards. Getting back to your three guard lineup that they like so much. And uh, Nemhard, Trey Alexander, and, and Baylor Shireman. And I think Baylor Shireman, as for those who maybe aren't familiar with him or, um, you know, are maybe underrating the acquisition, I think um, what he adds is, you know, and this is crucial on any team, um, a third ball handler for this team. I mean, you already got two good ones in, in Nemhard and, and Trey Alexander, who I know a lot of people like, including you, um, you know, to, to – carry that backcourt and be good decision makers. But 
Baylor Shireman was the decision maker on mm-hmm. on his team, and he's bigger. He's six six. Obviously, the the weight class doesn't match up, but um, he, he's a bigger creator, and um, it gives you another guy when the possessions break down. That's a third guy. Not, not if like a second side action breaks down. This is a third guy we're talking about that could is he's fully capable of making a right. play, not just for himself but for others, like at a high rate, and he'll spot up he'll do everything i mean he just seamlessly plugs in i know people like alex o'connell but like this dude's in terms of offense like plugs in oh he just does so much more yeah. o'connell was o'connell was a, a a spot up shooter who was a great cutter and had a little bit more bounce to him than i think most people would think um but Vela Sharman could just do things on the ball that, that that guy couldn't do um to your point about his size I've made this point about Sam Griesel before uh, on the Pick 6 podcast. There are passing angles that you can see by virtue of being 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, that smaller dude just can't see. Over the top, cut, you know, hitting a guy over the top with the defender's back to turn to you. You can see that. Some guys can't. Someone, you, there, are, there are smaller guards who, you know, if you're being defended by someone who's super long, you miss guys cutting because you just can't see them, right? Taller guys don't have the, that issue because they can go over the top more often. And to further your point, you, you made a good point there about the, the second side action if it breaks down. They can just be shifting the defense at all times all and time. have a great chance to beat it because they have shooters that you have to close out on and those dudes can, can attack a closeout and it's just going to be a nightmare to defend them. We've praised them a lot right now. I want to I throw a little devil's advocate at you because we're, sure. we're there's a lot of Creighton love happening mm-hmm. in general in the universe, yeah. a lot of Creighton love happening in this room right now. Here's the flip side of this yeah. argument. They were a bubble team that, granted, partially it was, it was partially because they were low on depth, but they played way slower than they usually did last year mm-hmm. in part because the offense wasn't working at, at its usual clip. They couldn't shoot like they were used to being able to shoot. And most of the major players involved are still there. In fact, you could argue that the two best shooters are the the ones that left. They brought in uh, Farabello, who can shoot it, to help help supplement that. But why is this team – why are we talking about this team as a top 10, top 5 team and not a top 25 team, Mm -hmm. which is where I think if you freeze frame – where they were right when Ryan Nemhard got hurt last year and add Baylor Shireman to that, I think that's what the conversation is. But now it's a little bit distorted because they made a super cool tournament run um, under super adverse circumstances and ended up playing the team who won the national championship really close in the second round. Why is, why is that a closer version to what they are than what they were in December, January last year? Sure, yeah. Um and I know people are on the fence about Nemhard's integration with this team because, like, uh, some people say, like, hey, like, this team peaked when he got hurt or whatever. Right, and it can be tricky. I mean, Trey Alexander had better this is turnover numbers than he did. A, a short sample size. I'm just saying the, these points can be made. I hear you. And um, I just think it feels like there's too many, like, oftentimes we look at a team and we'll see them fall to late game because – um, they run out of options, and you know th- what they've stuck to won't work anymore. And there's a difference between uh, like your game plan and your offense faltering, and then like your options in terms of players faltering. And I think you go down the line, and you just got so many options. Like looking at teams who can create and not create. Like we've seen teams like in college, a lot of teams struggle on the ball unless you're running good sets or whatever to get these guys looks like you'll struggle on the ball with every other team maybe one in every three teams um and so i think with this team you add shireman which is a bigger part than i think some people like Mm -hmm. that i think probably before they added him they probably were like in the 15 to 20 range but when you add him it's just too many guys on ball that could really change a game and like even columna like if they'll play him at the four like that's he can put the ball on the floor, and he's going to get to a bucket. So, like, uh, I think it's just you add a year of growth to these guys. You Maybe they have a good summer, um, a good off season, and they come into the season better than they were a year ago, which I think means everything because I think that team 
I think it was coincidental that Nemhard uh, was out uh, when they peaked, but like it took them all year to peak, which is probably I don't think that would happen this year, but you never know. But I think um, Shireman is as big a piece as a lot of these programs picked up uh, for this team specifically to carry their offense and keep them from being a you know a twenty-ish team to being like hovering around top ten. You made a good point. The every coach says it. It's proven true over the last couple of years. The most, the biggest leap that college players tend to make is between their freshman and sophomore years. Jaden Ivey did it last year at Purdue. Keegan Murray did it last year at Iowa. Johnny Davis did it last year at Wisconsin. Ryan Nemhart, Trey Alexander, Arthur Kaluma are all in that spot this year. So a lot can happen in a summer. You make a good point there. Yeah, and and I'm no draft guy, but right. everybody's saying Kaluma's going to make that jump. Yeah. Now, I haven't heard heard or seen enough to to tell for myself but I think just going off history and that freshman to sophomore jump I think and just the frame like you can just look at him and be like yeah it's yeah, probably an NBA guy like he could be a good NBA player and I think uh if you go based on what he did overseas a few weeks ago like he was killing out mm-hmm. there like he looked really damn good out there so I think if you go based on that and try to uh map out his trajectory I mean he could be this team's best player he should be this team's best player this upcoming year on the flip side of that we have Nebraska oh, which has <laughs> <laughs> which has finished 14th, 14th, and 13th in the Big Ten. Okay. Under Fred Hoiberg, there are only 14 teams yeah. in the Big Ten. Um, we had Creighton or the field in the Big East to win it. Uh-huh. This one is more a question for you, or for me, than for you. You say whatever you want. Nebraska or the field for 14th okay, in the Big wait, Ten. Wait, wait. So who else is at the bottom? We got Minnesota. So, yeah, okay, that's a, good, that's a good way to frame this. Uh, we're looking at Northwestern has been at the bottom of the last three years, and uh-huh. they just lost Pete Nance, Nance who Nance, was sig- yep. by a significant margin their best player. Yeah. Um, Minnesota, the second-year coach, Ben Johnson, actually started really well last year, like 10-1 and against a cupcake soft schedule, but did a couple of things throughout the year, like had a low turnover rate the entire year, sure. had a pretty de- decent uh, defense. I, I, I haven't looked at these numbers in a while for a large chunk of the year. Like, they were, they were building an identity. You could see they're going somewhere. They, were, they have a top 30 recruiting class, I believe. Penn State's in a similar situation. Mm-hmm. Micah Shrewsbury, first-year coach last year. This year they got a four-star kid. They got top 20. These recruiting rankings change all the time. But at what point, it was a top 25 recruiting class. Sure. Both of these programs did have better recruiting classes uh, than Nebraska. Nebraska was right there as well in the top 30. But... That's who we're talking about here. We're talking about Penn State. We're talking about Minnesota. We're talking about Northwestern. Last year we were talking about Maryland. I just think the talent base for that program is a little bit too big to to stick them in this conversation. I'm not going to lie. I think if we're looking at Northwestern versus Nebraska, I mean, I might have to say uh, the field for for 14th because, I mean, I don't think – I mean, granted, I haven't – I don't think I've watched enough Nebraska to – to really be as well, hard on the, them. The, as, that's as the thing, are. though. You can look. You can look. Like if you watch last year, that last year's team isn't going to look anything like this year's team. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know how much you could necessarily learn. Like, oh, CJ Wilcher can shoot the ball. That's interesting. Yeah, Derek Walker moves guys. Okay. So, yeah, I think there's a slim margin to where I'm picking the field, but definitely, I, I, not definitely. I think I'd say the field. In this yeah. Case. Northwestern's going to be pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> pretty bad. Uh, at two sports this year, tough break yeah. for that school. They got a great journalism school. You know, not Whatever. feeling too bad about it. Yeah. Not feeling too bad for them. They got a good setup over there. Their school is like in the heart. Well, not in the heart, but like I don't know, twenty thirty minutes outside of Chicago. Yeah, like, yeah. Shout out pretty good, pretty good stuff. Oh, Joel's from Chicago. For those yeah. for those who don't know, I'm also going to take the field. Um, I'll take it from the Nebraska perspective. I just think there is a smaller percentage chance that we're going to see the kind of depressing <laughs> offense that we saw last year, the kind of offense that bleeds over into other areas of the game. There was there was there were many times at post game press conferences last year where Fred Hoiberg would go up there and just say, Yeah, I think we missed some shots and uh, you know, it bled into the other end of the floor. People stop people stop running back on defense, that sort of stuff. Yeah. And uh yeah, we just gotta we just gotta make shots. And that is so tired. It's such a simple overly simple explanation. It is tired. You get tired of hearing it. It's like, okay, well can you it's if it's a if it's a want to thing, can you 
can you kick somebody in the ass, right? Like, but it's kind of true. <laughs> like, yeah. especially, and I kept saying this last year, they had so many players. Like, Alonzo Verge, what does he do? Get buckets. Bryce McGowan's, what does he do? Get buckets. Casey Tomodaga, what does he do? In theory, he does it for the Japanese national team. He had like 34 last week. He gets buckets. He shoots. He bombs threes. What does Keon Edwards, again, in theory, do? Score. Do, you know, uh, finish cool dunks, make threes. C.J. Wilshire, what does he do? Make threes. You have a lot of dudes who are who their identities as basketball players are rooted in scoring, shooting, whatever. And if that's not working, then it's going to get in your head a little bit. The, sure. the analogy I've used, I use this with Sam. It's like, Sam... You think of yourself as a good father, right? Okay. Say Sam, I think, has two kids, a son and a daughter. Say you got into it with your daughter before you came into the office today. And before you left the house, she said, I hate you. Mm. Which daughters say, you know, they don't mean it. But <laughs> I don't have any kids. But what I'm told is it hurts. It hurts to hear that. Yeah. It, makes, it might make Sam think, huh, am I really a good dad? And while Sam's thinking that, he might put his recorder down and not think about it. And then lose the recorder, right? So it could bleed over into your job. If you if if you if you feel like you're doing something wrong as a dad, it can bleed over into your job. If you're shooting, which Nebraska was at one point last year, shooting like 25% from three as a team, like mm-hmm. 10 games into the season, this is supposed to be the three-point shooting team. I mean, like you should have seen Joel, the kind of tweets that were coming out of Nebraska basketball practices last summer. Amen. John Rothstein is going to these practices and saying. I don't know how anyone's going to guard this team. That's that was happening. That was a real thing that happened. I don't know how anyone's going to stop this offense. Well, they stopped themselves. Yeah. They just were bricking a bunch of decent three, decent looking threes. And part of the reason they were doing that is because Alonzo Verge would just hijack a possession, or Bryce would hijack a possession, or Kobe Webster would hijack a possession. They would take these depressing, ugly. Mi- uh, Ugly shots that missed ugly. Like Bryce is, has a switch on a big man. It's okay, this is where we want to be. He shoots step back from 30 feet. It doesn't hit anything. Mm-hmm. Alonzo Verge loved this, and I kind of like this shot too. Uh, this one foot is like a, it's the Luca, the one foot fadeaway, Luca, Dirk, whatever. Mm-hmm. And he'd brick it, and Fred would yank him immediately. Kobe was, this was kind of his role, so it's kind of hard to fault him for it. He's this bench jitterbug guard. And he would take, you know, he'd be sizing a guy up with his dribble. He'd shoot setback, clank, like ugly clank. Mm-hmm. And the other guys standing around there think they're open. And that just, it just seeps into you. It just, it just bleeds into the rest of the team, right? This year, I don't, think there's, I don't think there's a ton of that. I think these are guys who are going to run what they're told to run and make the 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 simple they're gonna make the simple stuff happen make one extra pass good to great that sort of stuff and I don't think that they're super talented I think last year's team is comfortably more talented than this year's team sure. but because this team doesn't have so many of those um, stagnant let's say tendencies yeah. I'm being nice by saying that. I just think that there's just going to be a better feeling around the team and dudes are going to be happier with their role and they're going to be more likely to put in the extra effort even if the shots aren't going, even if offensive possessions are going south. So for that reason, I just think the floor is higher. Um, I think the ceiling's shorter too for what that's worth. And to your point, good systems win games more than than talent. Fred is one of the best. Still, coaches come in and say it after (laughs) this is what would happen last year. Nebraska loses a game by, I don't know, something between 5 and 20 points. The coach comes in there and says, Fred's one of the best offensive coaches in basketball, takes their 20-point win, and walks out. It's, it is true. Fred's like Fred is a really good offensive basketball coach. I just don't think he's had the right pieces. I'm not sure that he still does this year. He has better-fitting pieces, though. And he has pieces that are prepared for the Big Ten's physicality. And I think that's worth more than the ten wins that they got last year, which is the benchmarks, their most, their highest win total of his era. Yeah. So I'll take the field as well. Best player in college hoops this year. Who's it going to be? Oh, jeez. Probably an old. It's usually an old guy, right? Like we're talking Drew Timmy. Ugh, don't. Oscar Tashibi. This, this is the. This is what I don't like about college basketball. We get to naming all these 
nasty inside. Big. Future well, second, nasty future second, future second round picks. Like <laughs> that are the, that are dominating the sport. It's it is it is a disconnect. Yeah. Um, I think if we're looking at all the bigs, probably like, um, we're looking at what Sheboy, Baycott, Timmy. Um, I would be Hunter hard Dickinson. Hunter Dickinson. Yeah, I think Hunter he was Dickinson shooting threes last the, year. Hunter Dickinson is really good. I think he's probably the. He's probably third in that bunch, though. I'd, mm-hmm. say, I'd say either Timmy or Sheway, to be honest. I can't think of any wings or guards right now, right. but I, I, th- I think Timmy or, or Sheway for sure. It's hard to not put my right. money on Timmy with how he's... There's a, there's a 1990s aspect to college basketball. Big dudes kind of rule the world, right? Yeah. Um, part of that's because the guards aren't ready yet, but yeah. I'm going to go with... I'm gonna go off the board. This is not this is not the best player in college basketball, but I could see this person being considered the best player at college sure. ba- in college basketball by the end of the year. And that's Caleb Love from North Carolina no, because hey, that was in the he, back of my mind. Here's but, the thing: uh, you have Caleb Love. I was looking up his numbers last night. <laughs> not good. Yeah. Guy shot 37 percent last year from the field. That's bad. But he just went crazy in the tournament, and and you saw the capability like it's in there for that guy to be a big time shot maker and i think that basketball like basketball is so confidence driven and it cannot be overstated the kind of confidence the level of confidence that can be gained from performing like that on that stage and you can you can really carry that over into the summer and the team's going to be really good. That's the crucial point of this. To be considered the best player in college basketball, you have to be on one of the best teams. Yeah. North Carolina's going to be right near the top where they should be, and I think he is the guy that stands out the most on that team because he has the ball in his hands. He makes sure. crazy shots. So that's my off-the-board answer. That's not going to be the answer. He's not the best player in college basketball, but I think it's a fun For what is worth, exercise. he was supposed to be right. uh, up there in these discussions a while ago. I mean, when, when he was a freshman – before the, before his freshman season, he was top ten in people's yeah. mock drafts. Like this he, was the he shot thirty one percent that year. <laughs> like this was the type of player we were looking at when he was coming out of CBC in yeah. St. Louis. Like he was that guy. Like he was supposed to be one of the better guards in his draft class, and it just had to pan out that way. And granted, you said confidence is a, is a big deal. I think that's something that's affected him a lot. Obviously, shot making too. Um, but I'll play devil's advocates here. Point Do it. about being on the one of the better teams because they're I'd say they're the best team in college basketball. For sure. Um, they have our guy Pete Nance, who we mentioned earlier. Exactly. So, like, my thing is, like, um, do you have so many pieces that you can't even see the full potential of Caleb mm. Love? You know okay. what I mean? Like, you got Pete Nance. You got Baycott, yeah. who are all going to score. Right. You got R.J. Davis still. You got wings on that team. Like Smart. You say Caleb- the same thing about Creighton. Not, not, not even in a negative way. You're just not going to, like— Maybe a, like Arthur Kaluma on I don't freaking know DePaul is getting twenty five thirty a game. No, that's a fact, and I I, I think still okay to that point. Uh, I think Kaluma will be drafted first round at best off the potential, right? Like the what flashes you'll flashes. see flashes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, like the Kansas game. Yeah, but it won't That'll be, be part because of the he's tape. the best player on, on sure. Creighton. I don't think. Sure. All right, quick rapid fire: Jordan or LeBron? LeBron. Why? Man, dude, <laughs> <laughs> I. One, NBA Twitter has made me almost dislike Michael Jordan, and I'm from Chicago. Like, some people are just so hell-bent on this dude being the greatest player of all time. And I think there are certain factors that go into this GOAT discussion because the term GOAT carries, like, a legacy aspect to it. I think when you talk about legacy, like, few legacies match up with Michael Jordan's, right? But in terms of uh, – greatest player of all time like best player to lace up the shoes i don't think there's a more talented player ever than lebron james in terms of just what he's capable of on the basketball court just um at six eight six nine two fifty um that alone is something to be reckoned with but then he's handling the averaging having seasons where he's averaging 10 assists a game he's granted they had a horrible season last year but he averaged 30 points like this is a dude that's among the best scorers of all time among the best passes of all time um, one of the better rebounders for a guy of his profile and w- in his best days, one of the better defenders in the league. Like, he just has done it all for so long, and he's carried teams differently. I mean, granted, not as well as Michael Jordan, I don't think, but in terms of just pure capability, uh, I think it's hard to see anybody so this, other than LeBron and say they're better than him. To go, to go back to the, what the point of this episode is, th- these are very intentional, these last few, because sure. – 
this I think gets really into that. How do you look at basketball? Like if you're if you're a LeBron over Jordan guy, that tells me that you put less stock into the force of will, um, Mamba mentality, like that sort of like the. <laughs> I I told you like you said some I made up a slight from this is something that Jordan there's a thousand stories about Michael Jordan someone said Michael Jordan can't do this Michael Jordan said oh yeah and he took that personally the up. next time he went out yeah. and did that at the highest level <laughs> anyone like the Portland when he hit a bunch of threes against Portland in the finals with the shrug the right shrug, yeah. that sort of thing I happen to this is my thing about LeBron Jordan I'll make it quick has always been if I want to win a game seven I'm taking Jordan. If I want to build a franchise for the next 20 years, I'm taking Brown. Yeah. Because I do think in sh- in those short, high-intensity moments, that force of will stuff matters, man. The but guys, you know what's crazy? People don't give as much credit to LeBron no, you're right. You're right. as being he has some of that. He, is, he has bro. some of that. He has some of that. It's not the same level. It's really not. I, like, the, you just didn't – Michael Jordan didn't lose those games. And you, you, there's a, you could – he was the favorite in most of the games that he that he did play of those varieties. He just didn't lose them, and I do think part of it is just because he was in, he was insane. Yeah. He was insane. Sure. Yeah. LeBron is is incredibly dedicated. He's super talented. He rises to the occasion. But there's a difference. There's a little bit of di- like we're not going to be writing about like is LeBron James is an owner. Will he be like Michael Jordan has to leave the box basically every time the Charlotte Hornets play because they suck and he yeah. can't. He can't handle it. Jeez. Will LeBron be that way? I don't know. I, th- I don't know. I think to, to the point of uh, Mike's teams being favorites in every series, I think that says more. You should give more credit to LeBron in that case. Because, dude, yeah, honestly, I get those, it. those series in the back half of the 2010s, were like, it was, the Warriors were better than him. Yeah, I think I it was a it. waste of time as NBA fans yeah. because, dude, you knew the Warriors were favorite. And, right. honestly, it's just – like those honestly can't be slights to LeBron. Like they just can't. You add KD to those teams, and it's insane. Granted, they were some of the greatest series of all time before KD got there. I think, but like, dude, like, I think the only real blemish on LeBron's resume, I mean, I, maybe you can count this year because that was he definitely had a hand in in assembling that horrible, horrible team they yeah. put out there. But the only real blemish postseason wise in LeBron's career, I think is the the twenty eleven finals. I mean, granted you could yeah, chalk it up to Dirk being the just Celtics, a really great the player. Celtics series when he quit on the Cavs a little bit back in the day. Man, you I know you're not talking about before he had other all stars on his team. I'm just saying. He did he there was a different feeling around that. It's fine. Yeah, we don't have yeah. to spend too much time on it. <laughs> Kobe or Duncan? Kobe. That only because I grew up a big Kobe guy and a and a Lakers guy because of mm-hmm. Kobe. Um I will say I think Tim Duncan is super underrated. Like you, mm-hmm. you, you could ask casual basketball fans, maybe people who don't watch the sport um, as often, and they might not even know who Tim Duncan is, right? But they'll know who Kobe is, obviously, because he's become a man of popular culture. He's just so embedded in um, popular culture and being associated with basketball that Kobe just transcended basketball. But I will say, I'm not mad at people who put Tim Duncan over Kobe. Like I can see it. I can see the argument. I just think Kobe, man, you want to talk about legacy and greatness. I mean, dude, the 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 slight that people love to put over Kobe besides um maybe inefficiency in some seasons or sparingly throughout and his He whole played career. before the efficiency boom, so to speak. So Yeah, but uh I think the main slight is the oh, he was he was robbing to Shaq's Batman or whatever. But dude went and got two rings without Shaq. Yeah. Which is more than a lot of players could say. And Tim Duncan granted um, he was the best player on his teams by far. Um, you know, Tim Duncan played within a dynasty. Like, Tim Duncan rarely ever – I don't think Tim Duncan ever played with a bad team. Um, but like, did – there's my argument. I'm going to take Duncan. Did he never play on a bad team because of Tim Duncan, though? Like, Tim Duncan is the – he's the linking the linking player between all the David Robinson era Spurs and the Tony Parker Ginobili era Spurs. This is a dude who – to me, this is about leadership and um, that hard to calculate thing about basketball. It's like, how do you? You're, everyone takes the cue from the best player, right? What does that What does that best player look like, and how does everyone follow suit? People were afraid of Kobe, and like there are dudes who just you can't play with Kobe if you can't take a guy who's going to be cussing you out if you you made the wrong pass or didn't see him or, or something like that. Tim Duncan was never going to do that. Pop did it for him. To be to be frank. Um, Tim Duncan, I, I compare Steph to Tim Duncan this way. He was just 
he was always he was always deferential. He made everyone he did went out of his way to make everyone else feel comfortable. And defensively, Kobe was I think like a ten time all all defensive team guy. Probably got a few few off his reputation, but great defensive player. Big men defensively just have such a bigger impact no, on agree. the game. Like yeah. Tim Duncan by himself could be a good defense. And that was a. I think that's a, a large reason why the Spurs were so consistently good in the regular season, is if you have a good if you have good defense, that's half the battle. And you got a guy, you got a coach like Pop, and the rest of the guys they had, that that'll take care of the rest. So I, I just think that 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 part gets underplayed a little bit. Kobe was a bad teammate for big chunks of his career. Sure. Big chunks of his career. And he tried to get out of like people overlook. In fact, he tried to get out of there. He <laughs> well, called into a radio okay. show, called into a radio show, and said, "I'm not playing there again." Well, sure. That's just that's a lot. Now, to your point about oh, Tim Duncan, twenty years of Duncan over teams. twenty years of Kobe for me. Okay, well, to your point, you know, Tim Duncan. Yeah, you can't say it was because he's on those teams that he never played on a bad team. But also, he's never had. I mean, Kobe was on teams where Smush Parker and and Kwame Brown were sure. like. You know, like not high usage because Kobe was the yeah. usage on those teams, but like they were big parts of those mm-hmm. teams. Like, I I would be doing the same shit Kobe was doing. Like, yeah. dude, like I'm. Well, I think you're a bad teammate then. Well, I might be, <laughs> but I don't, I don't think it's gonna reflect my time here. Okay. But you know, like Kobe, I I would have demanded trade to, especially now if Kobe played today. Oh my gosh, right? Maybe he and and trade, you course. could argue, you know, would Tim Duncan have done that? You don't know. the The culture around demand trades has changed dramatically well, that's cool. the that's last cool five to ten years that's cool for tim duncan's digging yeah. but in terms of i'm saying no i'm you would he have done the same thing i'm thinking it's, it's more likely that uh, he would have just because that's the way i don't now. think he would but i mean not if he was on the spurs and went 50 games every year but sure, you know but but either way i think my argument for kobe is that you're looking at one of the top two or three scorers of all time i don't think that's debatable to me mm-hmm. and then you add all the 10 time whatever yeah. defense teams that he's been on and you know how good he was on both sides of the ball and just how reliable a first option he was, yeah. I think. Um, you could be a jerk and win. He won. So yeah, it was good. Yeah. Same with MJ. Yeah. Same deal. Um, all right. Last basketball question. There will be one other question. Sure. Best play- basketball player of the last five years. Best basketball player of the next five years. Best basketball player of the last five years. I think it's probably been split. Um, I hate to be – like I know we talk about prisoner at a moment a lot of times. And so, like, I remember the year, like, they were calling Kawhi the best player in the league because he just – It's basically whoever the best te- player on the like, dude, team that wins the championship is And I'm a year. big Kawhi guy. But um, I think it's – I think time has been split between it being, like, Braun, Steph, and KD. Like, I think they've mm. each had their time within the last five years. It's probably the best player in the league. And I think um, – if, well, if you count this past year as within the five years, um, it was Giannis. I think, mm. and I think Giannis is probably he still has the next four or so years, maybe five. I just don't see a a player as good as Giannis right now. I mean, I think there's players certainly close. I think Steph still hovers around that range, right. especially after the finals he had. Uh, KD he had a tough first round, but I think he's still hovering in that range. Jokic is even in that range. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people like to say Jokic is top two or three. Um, Luka is probably going to be up there in the next five years. So I'd say, I mean, the league is run by these foreign guys. I, I, I think it's between Giannis or Luka for the next five years. Best player of the last five years is Steph Curry. Um, Not mad at that. He won because we're going 22-17, to 17, right? So that's the back-to-back and this last year. And even, like, the year they lost in the play-in, <laughs> dude was going nuts. Yeah. Dude was going nuts. Uh, that, I mean, the way that Steph – Insights fear and defense is second he comes across the across half court is unparalleled. There are guys who get trapped uh, with the ball at half court. There are not guys who have five eyes on them when he doesn't have the ball and cross half court the sure. way Steph does. Yeah. Um, everything that team does um, starts and ends with him. He is the he's the you can use you, know, you can say okay they won two championships in a row against LeBron's Cavs because of Kevin Durant. That's true. Kevin Durant wanted to go there because Steph. Kevin yeah. Durant. Um, played the best seasons of his career there because he had the luxury. There's a, there's a clip that I'll never forget. It's from the 2017 finals. I think it's like game one. It's I think it's J.R. Smith trying to stop a fast break. Kevin Durant has the ball. Kevin Durant, who at that point is peak Kevin Durant, 
<laughs> there are two Cavs who run away from Kevin Durant, leaving him an empty rim, and he dunks it, and they were running towards Steph. Yeah, he's in the corner for three. And that's the bus that's driver it argument. right there. It, that's it right there. Yeah, that's the bus driver argument where people say, oh, well, Steph was still the best player on his team right. because he demanded that kind of gravity. Right. And I'm kind of leaning toward that side, too. I, th- I don't know about the bus driver thing. I think Charles Barkley. I don't know if I would call it the bus. I don't know if I would label Charles it Charles Barkley driver. is one of my favorite people in the world. I think most of his basketball takes are hot garbage, but that's, ne- that's neither here nor there. He's awesome. <laughs> I, I'll be, Chuck, I will cry when he yeah. dies, but his basketball takes at this point yeah. are really, really bad. Uh, the next five years... Giannis is probably the answer. The counter, I would say Luca, like you said, mm-hmm. because uh, Giannis is getting a lot better as a passer. Luca just has all the answers already. Dude, There's not a defense for that guy. Luca's my age, and the yeah. way he carried that team through this postseason, it's a bunch as a of first dudes. Option, yeah, it, was, it felt it's Le- like it's LeBronish. Yeah. yeah, it's LeBronish. Okay, uh, we're gonna. I think that there is an. It's inseparable, the link between basketball and rap music all sure. the ballers want to rap all the rappers want to ball all that right sure. so we'll incorporate that into this podcast at a very <laughs> surface level uh-huh. and it'll be at the end every time so if you don't care about it that's you and if it does if you don't care about it at all we'll stop doing it because we we cater to the people but we'll, we'll call it the music minute joel what's your favorite rap album of 2022 of 20 in 60 seconds i'm timing you jesus that's a Heavy question. I don't know if I can answer that. Yes, you can because you have 60 seconds. Okay. You're <laughs> well, looking at the clock now. Well, look, I'd say um, there's a rapper not too many people know about, especially outside of New Let's York. Let's go. He's going backpack. Uh, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I'll say Shawnee Bin Laden is an okay. underground guy I think uh, a lot of people still haven't heard of. Uh, I think XXL or one of those magazines just did a profile on him. Um, I'm not sure he'll make the next class or two because he's just not right. that lane of rapper. But um, I think he's just so consistently good in his lane of rap that that's probably it's probably one of the tapes he's made. Uh, any other year, I wish I could have said Kendrick, but he his his album just didn't oh stay boy. in my rotation. Okay, man. all right. Uh, I'm going Vince Staples. True. Uh, Ramona Ramona Park broke my heart. It's an album. It's an album about violence and what it does to his child. And the the best way the best song on the album is is how I'll. It's a good encapsulation of what's going on here. The song is called When Sparks Fly, and it is a love letter to a gun. Mm. And it's about how it's, it, it basically goes into how Vince Staples used to view violence, and then it tells the story from the perspective. I like when you switch perspectives during a rap song. The first half is Vince Staples talking about this dilemma he has where he's sort of he's famous now, and should he, be still, should he still be doing this sort of stuff? But it's every time he goes home, this is what his friends are doing, right? And the back half is the gun. <laughs> the gun talking about, well, why doesn't Vince love me anymore? And I just think that, that it takes a really tired trope of a love song and just gives it a completely new spin. So I'm going Vince Stables, Ramona Park Broke My Heart. This has been episode one, for all intents and purposes, of Half Court Press. I'm Jimmy Watkins. He is Joel Lorenzi. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week.